you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Hey, hey, everybody. This is Melissa, and thanks so much for joining me again for another one of our podcasts. My sweet husband, Dane, is not with me today because I'm on with a good friend of mine and one of my certified practitioners of our Equine Gestalt Coaching Program today, Donna Carlson. Donna, thanks for doing this with me. I am so excited and honored. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Melissa. Good. Well, you're a darling and you are located in Pennsylvania. So we're a long way apart in the country. You come from such a green part of the country. I come from a kind of a prairie and more brown town part of the country. True. Both beautiful in their own way. Right. Right. And so I start these podcasts off often asking my graduates of the program, did you have horses when you were a child or were you that kid that wanted one on Christmas morning? I was the kid that wanted one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved horses. My parents never understood where it came from. They thought that I, you know, had to be uh, dropped off some by someone because my tastes were always <laughs> expensive. And I grew up in a little row home in Philadelphia. And at 10, I told my father I wanted to take riding lessons. And he said, well, honey, go get a job. So I walked up to the local <laughs> veterinarian and started cleaning cages for 50 cents an hour to pay for my riding lessons. Nice. Nice. I love that. I honestly think sometimes we're either born to it or we never quite get it. You know, we we never quite understand it's either in your blood or it's not. My dad was a mechanical engineer professor and my mom was an artist. They, they were like, what happened to her? How did we let her get this horse addiction going? (laughs) Kind of the same thing. And I would envy the other kids that came from from farm families and dairies and stuff, they probably were working, you know, way harder than what I had to do, but they had a horse, you know, even if it was a horse that pulled the dairy wagon, you know, (laughs) you got a horse, you know? So when did you start to ride? You got riding lessons then. And then at some point in your life, you had your own partner, your own equine partner. So how'd that come about for you? Yeah. When, um, when I met my second husband, we went to Vermont for our honeymoon and he surprised me by taking me to the Morgan horse farm that is noted up in Vermont and, uh, said, go pick one out. So I was blown away because I was 41 and I'd waited my whole life to own my own horse. And uh, we came home with two. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's a beautiful memory. Absolutely beautiful memory. It really is. And Ben is still with me. He's 25 now. And I said, he's actually my longest living male relationship. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. A real life partner, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And so then do you have two horses right now that you're partnering with for this work? Four that you partner with for EGC. Yes. And it's kind of fun to see what they each express. Like a lot of times when students are coming through the program, they're so concerned whether their horse can do this work. And I laugh and I say, no, your horse is glad you're getting the training. Your horses already know how to do this deep healing work, right? They really do. So do they all have kind of their own special thing that they offer to the client? Uh Absolutely. Ben is the gelding that will wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and really (laughs) just give the client the time and patience and love that they look for. And then uh, Bella is my chakra healer. She loves to balance the chakras. 
Stolly, I kind of just use to get people happy and in a good mood because he's the class clown. And mm-hmm, then my mm-hmm. my mama mare was not treated well by humans up until she came to me. And I never mm-hmm. really asked her to heal as you had taught us. Right. And uh, she chooses who she wants to help. And it's usually women who have been abused. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. She can relate. She can feel that energy from them and the energy of her and, and really can relate. It's important to me. And thank you, Donna, for honoring my work that way, because it's really important to me that we didn't create something that is yet again, another thing for a horse to have to go do for a human, right? That really is not my jam at all. It's if the horses desire to offer up their essential gift, then more the better. But boy, yeah, for ones that have not been treated well, by humans, I think we owe them a debt of just take care of them, let them live out their life, right? So yep. good, good on you, girl, to let yeah. her pick and choose who she wants. And and we all know mares have opinions, right? <laughs> so they do. In there, the old the old adage, old farm adage: you can you can ask a stallion to do something, you can definitely tell a gelding to do it. But right. You better be ready for a discussion with the mare. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's absolutely true. And I I, I love their true. wisdom just as I do we women, you know, they just have a lot of intuitive, beautiful wisdom. So yeah, they do. And, and they either for my mares either are, as you said about your younger mare, really Mm -hmm. patient and create that great safety for the client to move into their grief or their sadness or Mm -hmm. wherever they're at. Or I find they're tremendous at teaching boundaries, really good at saying, nope, Absolutely. step up, cowgirl. <laughs> you know, that's exactly. Right. And then that's what the eldest mayor does, the mama right. mayor. That's what she does. She really, and every client comes out saying that they learn something about boundaries. So exactly. they take yeah. their messages, you know, they sometimes do. I, I don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Get out of their way. Let them do it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I don't remember. I'm sure I knew at some point when you were coming through your studies with me, but I don't remember how you found out about Touched by a Horse or how you found out about my method. Yeah, it was divine intervention. I really believe that. It was uh, next month, it'll be 12 years ago that I was widowed for the second time. And I had some loss up until then. And I thought, oh, I've got this. I understand loss. Um, But I didn't. I fell into a very deep, dark hole and gave myself time. I knew I would see the light eventually. And I went out to my gelding, Ben, who I cried to many times before and really had a session with him. I didn't know it was a session at the time. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I realized it was fear that was keeping me stuck. And it was, you know, I came back into the house and I swear it was that same day that I got an email from you. And mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know how I got on your list or how it happened. And so I started following you. And I think it was by 2011 or 12 that I signed up for the program. Nice. I thought, you know, this is what I've been searching for my whole life was nice. to, you know, partner with my horses and to help humans heal and, and to, to have my own business like that was just a godsend. Yeah. Make a difference for others with what we know the horses have done for us and be able to give that to other people. So, well, it was my lucky day, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you did come through. You're a beautiful coach and and just your clients are super, super lucky to work with you. Now, one of the 
things that you and I were chatting about the other day that led to this podcast was you're doing some very profound work. And I always encourage my graduates to have a specialty or a niche that they offer. And yours is grief. And you come by it through, as you said, being widowed twice. What are the odds, right, of being widowed twice? Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with grief, I know I have a few tools that I give to all of my practitioners to take out in the world to really work with grief. And one is, is so simple, but when it's facilitated in gestalt, it's profound. I don't think we ever forget an experience we have with a 1200 pound animal. You know, that's, they just, people really remember that part of it deeply. But one is something that I have people uh, say out loud. And when it's facilitated by somebody in the gestalt way, it is so powerful. Mm -hmm. However, I also think it can be for the layperson, very helpful. So because this podcast goes out globally and not everybody can necessarily get to one of my practitioners, I wanted to take a moment and share a little bit about the process. Is that okay with you, Donna? Sure. Yes. Okay. So I believe it's important for people to look at if they had the opportunity to have the discussion with their horse that's passing or has passed, their dog that's passing has passed, grandpa, child, it doesn't matter who it is any being that you have loved deeply, that these four, what we call stem sentences can be so profoundly helpful. And one is to say, these are the things I regret. I regret that. And to get that cleared in the air. The other is anything that you feel you want to say that you're sorry for. So I am sorry for and that, again, could be to any being that you love. The third is to say, I thank you for. Even in the darkest of relationships, there's often a thank you. There's something you want to thank that being for. And the last is, what is a moment or a memory or a photo or something tangible that you believe that you'll keep always in regards to that person? Or being. So those in a gestalt session are facilitated fully. They're spoken out in a really kind of different way, but those are the four markers. And I wanted to make sure in case someone listening has a, a Labrador they're saying goodbye to next week, that they've got those to, to share and to, to say and, and give that out to the world. Mm-hmm. So your niche is grief, right? And right. what what have you found has really moved you or, or, or I understand how you came by that, but how have you dedicated yourself to working with people around grief? What's important for you in that? Well, it wasn't just my two husbands. It's also been both of my parents, my two eldest brothers. I just have so many on the other side. And it was really COVID that made me go very deep into being a grief coach. And I received another certification from David Kessler, grief.com, mm-hmm. because I started really thinking about how everyone is, of course, grieving during COVID. But I started to really remember all of these, mostly women, some men that come to me, come for one reason or another, because they're stuck, they're sad, they're not sure what to do with their life. But there was always something in the background that went back to grief or trauma. So that's why I decided to really get very deep into grief. And the one memory that I have that is so profound with you was 
And we were at the Virginia Corps and I had asked if you had ever done a cumulative piece, just like you talked about of, you know, with all of my loved ones on the other side. And you said, well, no, but let's, let's do it. And I had my herd mates supporting me in the arena with, with the horse. And you walked me through this amazing, beautiful piece where each of my herd mates, you know, represented those that I loved on the other side. And it was so profound and it healed me from things that I wasn't even sure that I had stuck inside. And it was an out-of-body experience. And I even now, the somatics is raising me up and making <laughs> me shake because it was so beautiful. So that always stuck with me so deeply. So that's where I'm at with it. And I think this is where I belong. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. And and you just took me right back there too to Virginia and that little round pen in that yeah. barn and, and doing that piece with you. And it was beautiful. And uh, for me, I think doing grief work, of course, is, you know, very close to my own heart. My brother, my older brother is on the other side of the veil, my mother, my father, my stepfather, and of course my daughter. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's grief is something that is part of life. We're all going to experience it at some point, sometimes in the appropriate order that life should go in and other times way out of order, like a child right. or a spouse. Um, when you're young and in the mid part of your life to lose a spouse is not normal. It's not right. every day that people go through those things. I also say that I wonder what your answer is to this, that sometimes the toughest moment in our life, something that you just think, I'm not going to make it from this moment to the next. It's really painful. When we're back from it a long way, gives us some type of a gift. So not everybody feels that way. I do feel that way. I think in my life, I've seen it time and time again. Has there been any kind of personal gift for you in, in losing your husband, for instance? Uh, well, my first husband, he's the reason I'm here. He was a recovering addict for most of our marriage mm. and then picked up and it was a five-year demise. So he taught me a lot about working a program, like a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. He taught me a lot about addiction. He taught me a lot about forgiveness. He taught me a lot. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so his, he, his gift was a lot of lessons for you. A lot yeah. of lessons. And yeah. we parted friends and, um, you know, I did understand he had his demons and I was hoping he would overcome them, but he did not. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I agree with that totally. I, I try to really help my clients get to healing and hope and happiness and, and learn the lessons from the loss and the mm -hmm. deep feelings that they have, because you can get to the other side of that. In the case of addiction, oftentimes people are hanging on to guilt when it's really the addict's life and choice that they're going through. So it's like, give that back, you know, right. give that guilt back where it belongs, not carry that around the rest of your life. And then you married again. And mm -hmm. how long were you married to him? Just about 10 years. And yeah. um, he was diagnosed with cancer. And that was a three year journey. It, it was very difficult. I mean, he was a big, strong guy. And we were both still young and uh, never expected that to happen at all. So no, um, you know, he went through treatment. And then we decided to go to hospice. And we thought we had about six months, but just about four days later, he he passed. So yeah, one man that that saw fit to disrespect his body, his bloodstream, his health, his everything, 
and tune out with substance, right? So right. deeply damaging his body at his own hand. And right. another man who says, I would do anything to get this out of my body. I will right. respect my right. body and do all that I can to have health and and right. all of that. So wow, two total polar opposites on exactly. how they saw all that and yeah. and how we relate, how people related to you. Do people relate differently to you losing your addict husband versus losing your cancer husband? Absolutely. I'm assuming they saw it very differently. Like, Absolutely. well, you know, gee, too bad, good riddance there. And oh, so sad <laughs> here when you're really grieving right. both beautiful people, right. you know, exactly. both people who you knew and loved. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Oh, that's rough. And I taught, I mean, even with my first husband, there was that anticipatory grief because Absolutely. I knew it was coming. And, and of course, then I grieved the marriage and I grieved the loss of that. Mm -hmm. And I grieved mm -hmm. for my daughter more than I did for myself. And yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot involved with that. A lot of layers. Sure. A lot. A lot of yeah. layers. Yeah, for sure. I remember when Molly, she passed in 2013 and it was not a surprise, similar to your husband who had cancer. She was 24 years old and all of her life had been really precarious at best. She had had many times in which she came close to dying and then something would change and she'd pull it back out. And she had, she lived an extraordinary life. She went to Paris, she fell in love. I mean, lots of good, happy things in the middle of that. It wasn't all, you know, gloom and doom and sadness. But I do know that one of the things for me as prepared as I was, as maybe advanced in awareness in life as I was, and she was as well, that the first year, as they say, classically, the first year of her passing was by far and away the toughest. Mm -hmm. Her, you probably relate the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas, the first right. birthday, the first Mother's Day, you know, that that first mm -hmm. year is just excruciating with events and occurrences and that type of thing that you're going through the first time without that person, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think it was, oddly enough, I think it was the third year. I look at it year by year. I kind of look at the day she crossed and and mm -hmm. I'm always like, well, now how do I look at it? You know, each year, I think it was the third year. And I wonder if you went through this as well, that I honestly understood the deep permanence of her being gone. Mm -hmm. I, I guess there was still some little part of me that expected her to pick up a phone and call or walk right. in the door or it's right. so irrational. But I remember that sweeping over me and that feeling of like, no, this is gone. <laughs> you know, yep. This is forever. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. That With feeling? Each, each one. Yeah. With each one. And I would yeah. see them. I would think I would see them on the street. And <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. For sure. And then the feeling, I think, in the beginning of grief, and, and of course, you and I are talking about this today in the hopes that if anyone listening is going through grief, that they can know they're not alone and that there are others that have been through it ahead of them. I think for me, one of the other pieces was how I could be going along. And this will still happen to me occasionally, but not very often all these years out, be going along on a good day, like a feeling like I was having a good day. Mm -hmm. And that I stepped into some ginormous hole out of the blue and dropped back into deep grief. And sure. it always took me by surprise. Did you have days like that? Yeah, I think every day I kind of, I mean, I think about those on the other side every day. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I will just have this deep sense of loss. Like, 
the loss of the first marriage, the loss of the second marriage. Mm -hmm. I miss my mm -hmm. parents. I don't care how yeah. old you are. I miss right. them. <laughs> you know, right. the wisdom of my father and and my wow. my one brother, I I still it's been four going on five years, and that was really deep for me. And I'm yeah, still, still working on that. Yeah. Was he your older brother? He was. The, both yeah, of those mine brothers. was too. Yeah. yeah, mine was my older brother. And there's some magic there, whether the relationship that, I, because I see so many people, I know it's not always easy between brothers and sisters, right. but True. for the most part, older brothers, well, they kind of beat us up a little bit. They also, <laughs> they for the did. most part, were our protectors, you know, so it's a right. mixed bag of memories and, right. and tough when they leave the planet. That is also times when I, I think, well, I don't want to call anybody but my brother, Brett. That's who I want to call right now to share this right. memory or to share this incident that just happened or that I saw so-and-so or, right. or whatever. And, you know, they're not there to directly just have that chat with, you know. Exactly. I don't think I've ever met anybody that hasn't had this feeling. And that is, I so wish I could have one more conversation. Conversation. You know, one more conversation with that person, whether it's your mom, your dad, your your brother, your loved one, your child, whatever it is, there is no such thing as having asked all the questions that you really want to know that sneak up on you later. You know, you think, oh, I never asked my dad that. I wish I had asked him that. Right. So for those that are your, 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 that your parents are alive today and annoying you, <laughs> do know that when you're gone, you will have that feeling no matter what your relationship was. I wish I had asked him how he handled that when he was a kid or what happened to him with this or that, that curiosity, ask those questions while people are alive. Right. Even if you think, oh gosh, I can't do that, Melissa, because my mom will tell me the story about so-and-so and, you know, <laughs> she's annoying to listen to. Someday she's not there. You're going to be thinking, well, I wish I had known. Did she ever belong to that? Or did she ever feel this way or that way? And because yeah. you can't have those conversations once they're nope. gone. It's different, you know, really, really yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I say I do still talk to them, but it certainly is different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. And have to listen harder for the answer. Yeah, I'll tell you that exactly. for sure. I do ask sometimes, I was talking to my friend Daylin. Well, you know Daylin, but Daylin the other day and her son died about three months, around three months at the same time my daughter did. And Daylin and I didn't know each other at that point in our life. But she will occasionally, as a mom, she'll just say, all right, Austin, I need I need something tangible to know that you can still hear me and still see me. Prove it to me. And, you know, the, the record Austin will come on or the word Austin will be on a T-shirt of somebody that walks by or five minutes later in the store. I mean, all these fun things. And I do the same thing. I do it. I do it with my daughter, too. Like, just let me know that you still are there. Right. Just right. let me know you're still there. And she finds some very creative ways to show her mama <laughs> that she's still around and she's still there. For I'm sure. sure. For sure. Oh. So you mentioned to me when we were kind of thinking about doing this podcast together that you have a group and that you work with all these different people and other private clients that you work with. And one of the things that you see, and I've certainly seen it a lot too, is kind of the failure to thrive after people have lost people, right. the failure to get their life back on track after a while. Certainly that first year, boy, I get it. It, it just waylays you. Mm -hmm. But after that, they'll be three, four, five, six years, 10 years later and still very caught in the grief. 
I am not caught in my grief. You're not caught in your grief. While it's a big part of who I am, big part of who you are and the work that we do, I know you're a joyful person. I'm for sure a joyful person. So what do you think is going on for clients that you're working with? And do you see it change after you do the method, the equine gestalt method? Do you see a big change in in the, the clients yourself? Yeah, I think that they uh, feel stuck, especially the mothers that lost their children feel Mm -hmm. stuck in that motherly feeling of that they could not save them because our job is to protect our children. I think that's what keeps them very, very stuck and in the guilt for other clients and and mothers. And Mm -hmm. for those that really do the deep work with the horses, they, they do seem to bump up into a different place and are ready to then do some work on themselves to get right. into a new life. And that's yeah, just redevelop always- a new vision. Right. And it's beautiful right. when they do that, when they're finally ready to like really look at it and say, boom, I, I know, you know, for me personally, that it, what crossed my heart, I'm going to say after that first year, that first year was, was tender. It was a tender time. And it almost felt like if I moved forward too much, I was losing her somehow. And so there's a, there's a craziness in that first year, I think that's there, but the, and I could let go of the guilt and all of this of going on was the, probably the day that I began to say to myself and understand for myself that my staying stuck or my not making the most of everything in this precious life that I'm given doesn't change the reality of her being gone. And in fact, if she were able to, she would be hurt by the fact that I didn't go on, you know, that I was like saying, well, I can't go do that with my life because I lost my daughter and she was so beautiful, which she was, and now I'm broken and I can't go do this. I can almost hear her, even as I say that in this podcast saying, are you freaking kidding me? Because you're there and I'm not, please go on and make the most of your life. She doesn't want the guilt on that side of the veil of like, oh God, I ruined my mother's life by dying. Right. It's like, I can hear her just sort of like, come on, get over yourself. I am gone. You were a great mom. We did all we were supposed to do in this life. That's my journey. Now, mama bear, this is your journey. Make the very most of it that you possibly can, which, which is joy again, which is enjoying the sunset. It's living your life. It's feeling happy again. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And just like giving ourselves permission to laugh and have, I don't know if you, I went through definitely really the week that she passed. Mm -hmm. I was pissed at anybody that laughed, like anybody that was doing anything mundane with their life or felt a moment of joy. It's like, are you kidding? Molly Pierce died. Don't you know that? You don't be some stranger on the street, but you finally get past that. You realize the world's still turning. Everything's still happening. And Yeah. And I I think you're a great example of that too, Donna. You didn't lose your first husband and then say, well, that was so painful. I'm never getting married again because people die, right? Right. You went out and you fell in love and found this great man and had this great decade with him. And yeah, you probably wouldn't trade that for anything. No, so, not at all. And yeah. now I have a third partner that I've been with now yeah. uh, 11 years and we're yep. wonderful together. So I am trying to continue with my journey on this earth and make the most of it. And that's what Absolutely. I hope for for my clients. Yeah. 
And they would want you to be right. Both your oh. ex-husband, your widowed husbands, both of them would be like, go Donna, you know, exactly. don't, don't let my death derail your life. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really true. Really true. So you're writing a book, I understand too. So what is your book working title wise? You may, may change the title before it comes out, but what right. is this book project you have? Yeah, the title so far would be Grief to Healing, Hope and Happiness. And it's the inspirational stories such as your own of um, how you went through a horrific loss and came out on the other side and created a new life for yourself. So I'm having my own stories incorporated with mothers who have lost their children and other mm -hmm. wives who've lost their husbands and parents. And I want to show people that there is hope that you can create a new life. And the women that I am interviewing, it, they're just amazing women and, and they've done so much. And, and one, one client of mine is a man, I'm, he's going to be in it too, because he overcame a lot of trauma. So that's, that's, awesome. that's it. It's uh, inspirational stories to really give nice. people, you know, the idea that they can get through this and they can recreate a, a beautiful life for themselves. And maybe they pick up a tip from each of the stories that, you know, they put together that gives them their pathway. I think it's a beautiful project and you hope to have it out in 2023 at some point. That's correct. Yep. Awesome. Now, awesome. now I have That's to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holding you to it now with my little podcast. See how that That's goes. Right. But I'd be, I'd be proud to be a part of that. And I have another client who I think would be really good if you're looking for another story. I met her. Uh, she came to see me in Arizona when I was down for a visit to Arizona and she had waited until she was 40 to get married. She married this mm -hmm. incredibly perfect man for her. Really great guy. Like everybody that knew him talk about what a great guy one year after they were married, he had lost his life to brain cancer. Wow. Didn't have it when they got married, got it and quick right wow. out. And when I met her, she was still in the throes of that first year. And I worked with her then worked with her a year later, just really got her through. And she's just finally a few years later, allowed herself to love again. She's gotten married again. Just really a beautiful, like you're talking about story because she, she really felt slapped down by mm. waiting that long to find Mr. Right and to find Mr. Right and then to have such a short wow. time with him and, and to lose him in such a profound way. It's sometimes not easy to open your heart again, you know? Exactly. That's that um, pumping somebody else's book here, but Pema Chodron, just incredible mm -hmm. writer and beautiful soul and angel on the earth. And she has the book, The Places That Scare Us. And if you're losing someone or you're in hospice care or anything like that, I really tell you that book is so beautiful. And uh, she talks about the Buddhist concept of bodhicitta and being able to not toughen your heart when life hands you these things, but soften to, to allow every hard knock you go through in life, make you softer, not harder, which it certainly exactly. has for you, my friend, Donna, I for sure. That. And if people want to work with you either on Zoom or in person or connect with you in any way, it is DonnaCarlsonCoaching.com. She's located in Pennsylvania. She is worth the beautiful trip to the Dutch country to see her and or, you know, connect with her for coaching on Zoom is fine. The deep 
process work that we do is best done in person. And while all of my graduates would be really competent at helping you with this, and we can always match you up with the right one. If you feel listening to Donna, that she would have that deeper understanding, that personal understanding, that, that real life understanding of what it's like to go through multiple losses like this, I would highly endorse you going to see Donna Carlson at DonnaCarlsonCoaching.com. So we want to thank Hope Through Horses for being a partial sponsor of our podcast. They have an incredible organization that help all of us, all of my practitioners, myself, uh, students in my program, and the public to be able to go and see people like Donna and, and get the support that they need for doing that. So go to hopethroughhorses.com to find out about the things they offer out to you. And especially if you can kick a couple dollars their way, they put every dollar to the most beautiful use for people to heal. So thank you. And Donna, thanks for being on with me today. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, truly. Anything final you want to share with our listeners? I just, just have the courage to, to carry on and, and know that you can create a beautiful life for yourself. You really can. I know I have, and Melissa has, and uh, we're here to support you. Absolutely. Thank you, Donna. You're such a love. Go see her, you guys. You won't be sorry. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303-440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.